So many home fragrance scents smell unnatural, super sweet, chemically, or maybe even like a part of the mall you can't wait to escape. And after learning that the candle industry contributes to an insurmountable amount of non-recyclable waste, carbon emissions, and toxicity in our air, I am so happy that Notes Candles exists. Notes Candles is on a mission to help eliminate single-use candle vessels and give home fragrance lovers a more earth-friendly option without giving up high-quality fragrance that actually seems amazing. I have been loving burning the Santal and Atlas Cedar scent. It's woodsy, calming, and smells so good. I can't get enough. I love it. And they have other amazing one-of-a-kind fragrances like oat milk and balsam berry, vanilla and pepperwood, and pistachio and rose water. Every single one of them is exceptional. Be a responsible consumer while not giving up high-quality home fragrance by making the switch to Notes. You can build your custom starter kit right now at notecandles.com slash bestofyou. Right now, Notes is giving listeners 15% off and free shipping when you buy a Notes starter kit using code bestofyou. Just use code bestofyou when placing your order. That's code bestofyou at notescandle.com slash bestofyou. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Man, this time of year can be tough for people. We look forward to the holidays, but the holidays can also be complicated. They bring up a lot of different emotions, a lot of different feelings, especially if you're going through hard things. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress. It can be something to look forward to, something you do just for you, something to help you process the different feelings you're having as you go through the holiday season. It can help you feel more grounded and it can give you the tools to manage everything that's going on. You know I'm a big fan of therapy. That's a lot of what this podcast is about. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash best of you today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash best of you. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Best of You podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I am so thrilled for these next two episodes, the final two episodes in this series on Faith Talks. We're going to talk about grace and forgiveness. And the two concepts are fairly intertwined. They're different, but they're intimately linked. And so the first part of today's episode, I'm going to talk about what grace is, what forgiveness is, how they're different. And I'm going to talk about forgiveness and what's so tricky about it. And then we're going to jump in to a couple of interviews with people who are talking about these concepts, who are illustrating these concepts, who are showing us how these concepts play out in their day-to-day lives. And so first, let's talk about what grace is. We throw this word around, right? We want to be people who are gracious. We want to be people who demonstrate grace. We want to receive 
grace, right? We want others to be gracious toward us. So what do we mean by that? Well, grace, just more broadly defined, is a posture of kindness. It's a posture of what I like to call goodwill, which might mean you tend to give others the benefit of the doubt. You tend to give grace. The reason that person cut me off in traffic or was rude to me in the checkout line is because they were having a hard day. I want to have a gracious, generous outlook, right? We want others to have a gracious outlook toward us. And we think about God's grace, right? We think about the reality that God is constantly showing grace to us, which means God constantly has a posture of goodwill toward us. It doesn't mean that God isn't aware of where we're getting it wrong, where we're missing the mark, where we're a little bit far from God. I don't think God is naive. I think God sees those things, but God gives us grace constantly. God is the master of grace giving. And as we receive more and more and more of God's grace toward us, it allows us to have a reservoir of grace inside our souls that spills out to the people all around us. So grace is a general posture. When we get into forgiveness, we're talking about a subcategory, a a specific form of grace. Forgiveness is given out in the context of a specific offense. It's initiated by a wrongdoing or a series of wrongdoings, a lot of wrongdoings. It doesn't just have to be one, right? So forgiveness is a posture of the heart, the soul, the mind toward something that violated us in some way. It involves letting go of the resentment, the anger, or the desire to get even. And again, there's some assumption in this definition of forgiveness that there is cause to be angry. There is cause to feel resentful. There is cause to want to get even, right? There is a desire at its best for justice. Something wrong happened. And so forgiveness requires us to be very honest about the wrong that occurred. Forgiveness isn't just glossing over things. Forgiveness requires us to be very in tune with this was wrong. I was wronged in this situation. And so it means facing those unpleasant emotions, the resentment, the anger that pops up. It doesn't mean denying those emotions. We're going to get into this. This is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but I've got a whole new series coming up on emotions that I'm so excited about. So I'm going to just touch on it today. There's more to come in the coming weeks. But forgiveness means acknowledging those negative emotions that understandably surface when someone is hurting you, someone is mistreating you, someone isn't honoring you, someone isn't respecting you, someone isn't giving you the kindness that you are giving to them, it evokes negative feelings in us. That's normal. What we do with those negative feelings is on us, right? And forgiveness is one of the tools, one of the strategies that's available to us. There are a couple of things I want you to hear today before we dive into these episodes. Number one, a posture of grace and a posture of forgiveness in psychology research. These attributes are correlated with improved mental health. In general, if we are people who tend to give others the benefit of the doubt, if we are people who tend to release 
resentment and anger and hold a forgiving posture toward others, we see improved mental health benefits. This is secular research. We know this from the Bible. I'm giving you the secular research. So for example, these attributes are correlated with increased levels of happiness, decreased symptoms of depression and anxiety, and a generally more positive outlook on life. So in general, it's not healthy for us to harbor a lot of ill will. It's not healthy for us to harbor resentment and anger. It doesn't do good for our bodies, our souls, or our minds. And we see this time and time again in the research. So we do want to be people of grace. We do want to be people of forgiveness. But there are a couple of nuances to that. Number one, research in psychology has also established a strong correlation between the ability to forgive others and certain personality traits. And you probably know this anecdotally. You probably, right now as you're listening, can think about yourself and recognize, you know, I'm someone who forgives pretty easily even when I've been wronged. Or you might be aware of it's really hard for me to forgive. I don't like it. I don't like seeing wrongs. It's really hard for me. And there's probably a good reason for that. Back in episode 49, we talked about the big five personality traits that are the most researched personality traits in psychology that tend to be how we're wired, right? They tend to be pretty stable over time. And one of those traits is agreeableness. And some people just tend to have a more what psychologists call agreeable approach. And for those folks, indeed, what we find is that forgiveness and grace come just a little bit more easily than folks who have lower levels of agreeableness. Now, if you go back to those episodes, you remember there's not a good or bad here. The people who score lower on agreeableness tend to be more invested in justice. They tend to be more invested in calling out wrongs. So there's a need for all types. If you're somebody who struggles with forgiveness, my guess is you are somebody who really hates injustice, and that's a good quality doesn't mean you don't have to work on forgiveness or grace, but it does mean we don't want you to lose that quality of calling a spade a spade and naming what you see as you see it and calling out wrongs. There's a real need for you in our world. And for those of you for whom forgiveness and grace come a little bit more easily, there's a need for you to not jump to a naive glossing over that isn't actually forgiveness. And I put myself in this category. For those of us who have a highly developed fond response, who are a little bit more of pleasers, right? We can call ourselves gracious and forgiving, but what's really happening is we're just not looking at the hard facts. We're not looking at the reality that there was a wrong. And so the invitation to us is to get a little bit more in touch with what I believe matters to God also, which is that justice piece, that truth-telling piece. You know what? This wasn't right. The way this other person treated me, it wasn't right. And I'm willing to forgive that person. And yes, that may come a little bit easily to me, but I'm also working on naming when something isn't right. And that's also a part of my growth, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. So the first thing as you're listening to these conversations I'm going to have today and next week, I want you to hold that in mind. Is there a personality disposition that makes some of these things a little bit easier? And where are you on that spectrum? And if it's harder for you, what's your invitation in terms of forgiveness? And if it's easier for you, what's your invitation? 
in terms of forgiveness, right? If it's harder for you, your invitation might be to go through the mental rigor of working to release resentments and anger. If you're someone for whom forgiveness comes pretty easily, your invitation might be to work on naming and honoring wrongs that have been committed, at least before God and with a couple of other people being really honest about areas where you've been hurt. And there is hurt there, and you need to also face the hurt before you jump into forgiveness, because it's also not wise to let other people take advantage of us, right? We need all of these tools in our tool belt. Okay, finally, I want to talk just a little bit about different types of forgiveness. Number one, there's forgiving yourself, right? Sometimes we wrong ourself. We do something we know we shouldn't do, or we do something that at the time is the best we can do, that years later, we're just beating ourselves up over. We're just mad at ourselves that we did that thing that we're now suffering the consequences of. And this is real self-forgiveness. And this is where I love that parts work, right? Where we look at a part of us that did the best we could at a given moment in time, and we bring that part out in front of us. We stop beating ourselves up. We invite God into that experience because God doesn't beat us up. God names without shame. And we walk through a process of forgiving that part of ourselves in partnership with God's spirit. And it's so powerful. And we'll get into more of that in these upcoming episodes. There's also forgiving others. And this is the most commonly known form of forgiveness, right? And there's a couple of forms of forgiving others. Number one, there's forgiving others when they ask for forgiveness, when they acknowledge a wrong. Maybe somebody has hurt you, a parent has hurt you, a friend has hurt you, a spouse has hurt you, and they've come to you and said, I'm really sorry, I messed up, I'm gonna do better next time. Well, in those instances, forgiveness can be hard, but it's sometimes a little bit easier when someone owns what they have done. Sometimes somebody asks for forgiveness, but they don't really change. That's a little bit harder. And then sometimes we have those situations where someone has wronged us in deep ways. Maybe they've wronged us systematically time and time again, and they've never owned it. They don't even think they've done anything wrong. They might not even know the extent of the damage they've caused. And those are really hard situations to forgive, especially if you're still in a relationship with that person. And I'm gonna come back to that in just one second, but I wanna name the third type of forgiveness, and that's collective forgiveness, where a group of people or a community of people or a culture of people has harmed you, right? If you've been part of a church community that harmed you, the whole culture was toxic. That can be really, really hard, especially if you cannot get away from the group that has hurt you. So I want to just touch on this category of forgiveness that so many of us, all of us at some point in our lives, have experienced a hurt from someone else where that person doesn't know or doesn't care that they've hurt us. And this is really hard, especially if you're in an ongoing relationship with this person. And I want to say up front that I believe very clearly that boundaries and forgiveness go hand in hand. I do not think forgiveness means continuing to allow yourself to be put into harm's way. All right, if you've received any of those messages that you should just forgive and forget and let this person keep harming you, that is wrong. And you will hear our guest say this today, and I'm so grateful that he did. 
Here's the tricky thing about forgiveness in those cases. We don't do ourselves any favors by holding on to anger and resentment. It doesn't do good in our own souls to hang on to those feelings longer than we should. Now, we need to honor them. We need to notice them. We need to let those feelings run their course. But the minute we start to grab on and feed on anger and feed on resentment over time, that's not healthy for us. There's a lot of research that supports that. So we want to honor those feelings, but we want to release those feelings. And I believe that one of the best ways we can do that is to set healthy boundaries with those who are harming us. Once you trust yourself and God long enough that you've established that healthy distance from that person in whatever way that you can, then you can begin to do the work in your heart of releasing anger and resentment. And I just want to be clear about that. Boundaries go hand in hand with forgiveness. Getting enough healthy distance from a person who has hurt you, especially if they're unrepentant, especially if they're not saying they're sorry, especially if there's no bid for restoration and where reconciliation is not possible, forgiveness is about getting healthy distance. Whether that distance is physical and you just never let that person into your space again, or whether there's emotional distance, maybe with someone that you have to have an ongoing relationship with, but you recognize that person will never be able to give me what I actually need, you can then begin to do the work internally to release resentment and anger. And you release that to God. And you are able to release that to God because God is a God of justice. So you're not gaslighting yourself. You're not saying what they're doing is okay. You're saying that is a wrong And simultaneously, I can release that to you, God, because you are the God of all justice. I can't do anything about this. All I can do is protect myself from further harm while simultaneously releasing to you the anger and resentment I feel. And you are the God of justice, and I can release that to you. And so that's powerful. That's a powerful form of forgiveness. It doesn't mean you let that person continue to hurt you. And so how do you do that, right? How do you do that? Again, if you're in that category of someone who's been hurt and maybe you've got some boundaries in place, you're learning how to get some healthy distance from this other person, from this situation, but you're just aware of that resentment and negativity inside. Well, Dr. Karen Swartz, she's a researcher out of Johns Hopkins. She says it this way. She says, forgiveness is an active process in which you make a conscious decision to let go of negative feelings, whether the person deserves it or not. And that's tricky. That's hard. I like this definition, though, because she's saying a couple things. It's an active process. It's ongoing. It's not a one-time event, especially if it's a really deep hurt, if it's an ex, if it's a parent, you know, if it's an adult child who's really hurt you. It's a conscious, active process where you're having to do what I call mind your mind. There's some mental rigor of noticing, oh, man, there's that negativity, especially if you have to see that person. There's that negativity. And it's a process of noticing that, naming that, not shaming yourself for having that feeling. There's a justification for it. That person hurt me. And also, God, will you help me release that negative feeling? Will you help me release that resentment 
that I feel in my soul. Will you be the God of justice? Because I've done everything I can do to protect myself. This person isn't changing. They're never going to change. It's not good for me to harbor the resentment in this situation. I can name it. I can honor it. I can do what I can. What's my part to protect myself? And then I got to release it, God. I got to release it because it's not healthy for me to hang on to. Will you help me release it? It's a mental muscle you're developing as you learn to forgive. It is an active process, and I believe it happens in the context of healthy boundary setting. You set the healthy boundaries. You do what you can to protect yourself from ongoing harm. That's part of wisdom. You notice the negativity when it comes up. You honor it. You go to God, and you release it. God, you are the God of justice. I release that negativity. I release that other person into your care. You are the God who knows all. You are the God who knows more than I do, right? And you release it and God takes it from there. We can trust God because God is a good God. God is a God of justice. He sees everything. He understands everything. He is big enough to take these heavy burdens that we bear. You all know how much I love my Organifi, and I think it's a toss-up about which is my favorite, but Organifi Harmony is just my go-to as the weather gets colder. Every single morning, I just look forward to my hot mug of Organifi Harmony. Organifi Harmony was created to support women specifically. It combines 12 superfood ingredients into a delicious cacao and chocolate flavor blend that promotes better balanced hormones every day for improved women's health. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition and high-quality ingredients in less than three grams of sugar in every product, helping you move from a depleted to nourished state. Just add water, or I like to add warm almond milk, stir with a spoon, and enjoy any time for more energy, nutrition, hormone balance, and peace of mind. It's a great way to jumpstart your morning, energize your afternoon, or nourish your evening. And the best part is that you can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank, with a price that works out to less than $3 a day. Head over to www.organifi.com slash you and use code BESTOFYOU for 20% off your entire order. That's www.organifi.com slash you. 61% of people experience gastrointestinal discomfort, and I'm definitely one of them, which is why I love Seeds DSO1 Daily Symbiotic. It's a broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole-body benefits, including gut, skin, and heart health. Seed's patented capsule-in-capsule ViaCap technology optimizes viability and delivers a precision release to the colon, no refrigeration required. It promotes healthy regularity and stool quality in addition to healthy gut immune function. I notice such a difference in my regularity when I take my DSO-1 consistently versus when I skip a day. Visit seed.com slash best of you and use code best of you to redeem 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic. That's seed.com slash best of you and use code best of you. I am always looking for ways to save time and money while also maximizing health benefits. And that's why I am thrilled to have discovered Thrive Market. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and quickly shipped to my doorstep is just unbelievable. 
unbeatable. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can easily use their on-site filters to get really specific about what matters to me. For example, I can filter out low sugar, non-dairy, gluten-free, any of those very specific dietary needs that anyone in your family might have. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save about 30% each time. And best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give a membership away. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash best of you. All right. So I want to move into today's interview now. Most of you are familiar with Max Lucado. He is a pastor, a speaker, and a prolific best-selling author. He is known for his deep understanding of grace. I got a chance to meet Max recently and just noticed that he is someone who embodies grace. And it's not cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Costly grace recognizes when there's wrongs, right? There's a cost to grace. And Max is somebody who understands that. And so today we talk about Max's brand new book called God Never Gives Up on You, what Jacob's story teaches us about grace, mercy, and God's relentless love. I love this conversation, and it's a beautiful book. If you're in need of some grace of your own, some encouragement, this is a great book. And you'll hear in today's episode, Max doesn't beat around the bush about toxicity. He names it, and he owns it, and he calls it out where it is in the Bible. It's all over the Bible. And yet, God is still a God of grace. And so I'm so pleased to bring you my conversation with Max Lucado. Can you tell us a little bit, I know from your history, from your story, that before you were a pastor, you worked to pay your way through college. It sounds like you initially wanted to become a lawyer before you discovered Bible courses and discovered the calling to be a pastor. This is a while back. Can you tell us a little bit about that younger version of you and what his understanding of grace was at that time in your life? You've done your homework, Allison. A little bit. <laughs> That's kind of pre-Noah, pre-Ark. <laughs> I'm so old, you know. I love that stuff. That's the wisdom, the hard-earned wisdom that you've earned. Yeah. I don't know if you have kids, but you would not have wanted your kids to hang out with or date the teenage or early 20-year-old version of me. So I was pretty much a scoundrel. I was a six-pack-a-night guy. I was kind of a brawler. I was all about me. And part of that was due to the fact, though, that I had reacted to an understanding of faith that we would call legalism, where your relationship with God depends upon performance. And, you know, I tried <laughs> to do my best for a few years and just couldn't. You know, a combination of peer pressure and raging testosterone and societal issues. And I just kind of cashed in that chip and 
said that, well, that's never going to work for me. And it was only by the influence of a good friend, a guy who's still a friend to this day, decided to try attending church again. And I heard a pastor describe what we call grace. And don't know how I'd missed it. I don't fault anybody in my youth. I probably just wasn't listening. But I became convinced that, that God could forgive a jerk like me. And it was truly life-changing. Allison, we hear people all the time say, you know, my life was heading off the rails. My life was heading off the rails. Uh, alcoholism is a major issue mm. in my family of origin. My brother died as a result of alcohol. I have several aunts and uncles who spent many years in treatment centers. And so I was headed off the rails. So grace is what caught my attention. Yeah, so I love that. And I love that focus in this book. God never gives up on you, Max. And one of the things we focus on in this podcast is that healing is a process. It's not once and done. Grace comes in. Jesus comes in. We're changed and we're changing over the whole course of our lives, which is what I love about what you did with the story of Jacob. What are some moments you talk in the book about how Jacob had to reckon with his past at a key inflection point. And I write about this as well. I love this moment. I love how you describe this moment. What are some moments in your own life where you've had to reckon with the past and wrestle with God a little bit as you considered moving into your future? Mm. Well, you get right to the core, don't you, Allison? That's what we're all about. Yeah, you know, that old saying is true. You can't move into the future until you've dealt with your past. And dealing with your past is challenging. Apart from the grace of God, I would think it's impossible. I had and have messed up some really good relationships through the years due to inability to exercise self-control. I also have an addiction to the approval of people, which is interesting because I have a real curiosity about theology. And sometimes what I begin to discover in, in Scripture is not what I was taught or what others taught me. And I'll have to part ways just a bit with people and chart my own course. And I find that very hard because I like people to like me so much. I'm not a disruptor. I'm a pleaser. And I see that now, but I have found that I did not manage that well. So as you ask about my past, the two things that I've had to trust that God's grace is adequate for is forgiveness for my life in my early years, the inappropriate behavior and uncontrolled passions. And then also when I would chart a different course, even as a pastor, sometimes I cut people off. Rather than talk it through with them, I would just not see them. I would avoid them. And that's not healthy. And I've had to go back and mend a few of those bridges over the years. The benefit of growth as we grow in our own healing, we become more mature, and we receive more and more of God's grace, it's paradoxical. It's not that we become more and more what you call, I love what you call the super saint, right? It's not that we become more aware of our super sainthood. It's almost that we become more aware of, oh my gosh, every step of the way, the more I become more aware of God's goodness and God's love, simultaneously, we become a little bit more aware of our failings. And it is such a paradox is kind of what I hear you saying we have to constantly reckon. As God gets bigger, we appropriately get smaller. 
And that's the way it should be, you know, trusting in the great grace of God, how strong he is. I was just reflecting earlier, well, maybe three or four days ago with my family, how we used to put our girls to bed at night. We have three daughters. Of course, they're all grown now. They have kids now. So we were talking back when they were little and we had a bedtime routine. And part of that bedtime routine is that I would allow each of my daughters to feel my biceps. Now, once upon a time, I actually had biceps. I don't anymore. There's more sag than strength there. But we'd make a big deal out of it. And they would say, oh, Daddy, you're so strong. Of course, they're already getting ready for bed. They've had their bath. This is the last thing I would do before we'd tuck them in. And my thinking Allison was, I want them to go to sleep knowing that they have a strong father and that they will rest better having felt their father's muscles. I didn't know I was actually practicing theology by doing that, but I do think that we're stronger as we let God get bigger and we allow ourselves to be small, to be that child that feels the muscles of God. And these stories in the Bible, like the story of Jacob, really celebrate not Jacob, to celebrate God and give us an opportunity to really place our hand on his biceps and see that he's the one in control. He's got a great plan for us. He's not going to deviate from it. He's not going to abandon us. And we can trust him to get us home safely. Because in the end, it's his strength that matters, not ours. It's his grip on us that matters, not our grip on him. Yeah, thank goodness, right? I love what you said. You said, apart from God's grace, I think it would be impossible to face ourselves honestly, to reconcile with our pasts, right? It's that cushion of grace and the bigness of it that makes it possible for us to tell the truth Mm -hmm. about our own inadequacies and the areas in our own lives, where, as you call it, I love it, the tilted halo, right? Where we are pretty ragged still. Well, you know that anxiety is, is just running unbridled through our society. And I think one of the things that we don't talk about as a cause for anxiety is unresolved past. Yeah. If I've got secrets in my past, if I've got mistakes in my past that I've never dealt with in a healthy fashion, the unhealthy approach to dealing with my past creates stress. I'm either suppressing it, I'm hiding from it, I'm working my way, shopping my way, eating my way, drinking my way. Pleasing our way. Pleasing my way. And it becomes a hectic race to outrun my past. Whereas Christians, we can say, you know, what I did was terrible. It's just horrible what I did. I will not pretend. I do not pretend it was good. Nope. No more. Not going to justify it. Not going to deny it. I'm going to own it. But I'm going to present it to God and allow him to speak words of forgiveness over it. And that I really think is an unaddressed approach in our dealing with anxiety. Because if we can just let that past be presented, healed, prayed for, forgiven, then we've got a load we can release and move on with life. And again, that grace, I love how you're describing the bigness of God's grace, is paradoxically what allows us to change and heal and grow. We don't heal in the context of criticism. We heal in the context of that compassion that kindness from God. What are some things you've met with, no doubt, thousands of people over the year as a pastor and through your books and just through your ministry? What are some things that you see that make it hard for people to really receive deep in their bones this grace that you're describing? Mm, That's a great question. 
I think it's the fact that nobody else has given us the grace. If I have let people down, and I know I have, and they continually remind me of it or shame me about it, for me to hear a pastor say, yeah, but God forgives you, in the back of my mind, I say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You mean my ex-wife won't forgive me, but the God of the universe will? That just doesn't add up. And I know I can relate to that, you know, but I don't know plan B. (laughs) You can't just because others fall short, because forgiving others is hard, because others have a hard time forgiving you. Please let God be God. He can. He's already seen your life from beginning to end, from start to finish. And he's chosen you. He's decided you're worth having in his eternal kingdom. So, yeah, even if no one else can, even if you can forgive yourself, Take step one. Trust that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the God who knows us, loves us, and he can forgive us. I think that's a challenge. Boy, I think you're exactly, you're taking a peek into my playbook here. We did an episode just recently with a young woman. She works for me who met Christ through her peers at Harvard. She was in a search for meaning. And she said exactly what you said. She said, I lived a whole life of nobody really showing me love, showing me grace. So when people tell me God loves you, that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't have a lived experience of that. And what she said changed that were those people on her campus showing her that love, showing her that embodied glimpse of grace, right? And so that's where we also become that embodiment of grace for those around us. Sometimes we're showing that to other people is even more powerful than those words. We have to back that up. Mm. I'm no doubt that you're showing that to so many people Mm. through your written words, right? I hope so. And the kindness, you know, just being kind to people, being a genuine listening ear, expressing acceptance. I know of a fella where I play golf who was involved in a horrible accident and a person died as a result of that accident. And he is so broken, just so broken. I like him. I like him. And I get that it was a dumb decision. And every time I see him, we talk, I check on him, and he tears up. He tears up. He said, people don't know what to say to me. And so I think that's what you're talking about, just that kindness. When others find it difficult, if we can at least extend a hand, put an arm around the shoulder, you know, and ask how they're doing, we likely underestimate how powerful that is in people's worlds. More is caught than taught. You're showing him the love of God in that moment. I love that. All right, you guys know everything I do, whether it's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically, I'm trying to be just a little bit healthier. And that's why I'm so thrilled that this podcast is sponsored by Relief Band. When it comes to nausea, I finally have a product I can recommend. Relief Band is the number one anti-nausea wristband that quickly relieves and effectively prevents nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. Relief Band is natural, fast-acting, and will last as long as you need it. It's 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and has zero side effects. The Relief Band itself just looks like a cool watch that you can wear anytime, removing the fear of those moments of nausea. Right now, Relief Band is running their biggest sale of the year for Black Friday. So head over to reliefband.com to receive 20% off your purchase plus free shipping. 
That's R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com for 20% off plus free shipping. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. That was the sound of the NutriSense biosensor that I've been wearing these past few weeks. NutriSense tracks everything I eat and tells me exactly how my unique body is processing the food that I put in my mouth. It's helped me break free from all the fads and trends and actually understand what my body is doing with the foods that I eat. In fact, my nutritionist, Erica, helped me see that some of the snacks I was reaching for during the late afternoon when I was tired and trying to get energy were, in fact, working counterproductively. She helped suggest some new ones based on my goals. As a result, I'm noticing more stable energy throughout the day. To start decoding your body's messages and pave the way for a healthier life, visit NutriSense.com slash best of you and get $30 off your first month and one month of board certified nutritionist support. When they ask how you learned about NutriSense, make sure to tell them it was the best of you podcast. That's NutriSense.com slash best of you for $30 off your first month and one month of board certified nutritionist support. One of the things, Max, I really appreciated and we talk a lot about on this podcast because in my world of trauma and therapy, the reality is we are bumping up against toxicity. It's real. Sometimes folks find themselves in toxic relationships, in toxic systems. We have to be wise. We have to be shrewd. We can't be naive. And you talk about unflinchingly the toxic cultures present both in Jacob's time and in our time today. And I appreciate that you name that that you don't try to skirt around that. I think people need to be equipped. We need to not be naive. I think sometimes as Christians, we hear the message, we just need to love people. Well, that doesn't always work. Tell me a little bit about why you included that, how you've navigated that as a pastor and in your own life. Well, the reason that that conversation got included in this book about Jacob is one of the saddest stories in the story of Jacob involved toward the end of his life. He's returning to Bethel with his family, had a large family, two wives, two handmaidens, a dozen kids, who knows how many servants, and they camp near a place called Shechem. Shechem has been unearthed by archaeologists. It was a city. Of course, they were Bedouins, and so they were probably attracted to this stone-walled city with streets and shops and maybe an opportunity to drink something other than desert water. (laughs) You have a good meal, and they started living. They put their roots down near Shechem. They weren't supposed to. They were supposed to keep going to Bethel. But while there, Jacob had one daughter, Dinah. And while there, she was violated by one of the men. That man happened to be named Shechem. He was the son of the ruler. And then he not only violated her, but he wanted to bring her into the city of Shechem to be his either lover or wife or something. He wanted her. It was just pathetic. Pathetic. It's a horrible story of misogyny and brutality, nothing good. And it gets worse. Jacob was passive. He didn't respond. He didn't defend his daughter. And when the blood brothers of Dinah learned about what happened, they went Rambo on the village. And they convinced the men, if I can just get brutal, the story's brutal. They convinced all the men in the village to be circumcised. And then while the men were healing, they murdered all the men. People who've not read the Bible say, that's in the Bible? Yeah, that's in the Bible. That's Jacob? Yeah, that's Jacob. It was horrible. What had happened is a toxic culture existed. 
The toxicity is where the strong manipulate, control, brutalize the weak, where those in power take advantage of those who have less power. Toxic culture has a strict pecking order, and those in control hurt those who have less control. It's not a culture in which kindness is valued, but strength is valued and power is valued. Not a culture in which forgiveness is a virtue. Vengeance is a virtue. And so we can find ourselves in these cultures. Jacob should have gotten his family out of there sooner. He eventually did, but not before the damage was done. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation like that. It could be in a work situation, school situation, sadly a church situation. It could even be in a family. In in those situations, we need to, number one, realize this can cause damage. And so, wives, if your husband is behaving like a Shechem, get your kids and get out. Get out fast. Men, if you are turning a blind eye towards Shechemites, then you need to repent, take a stand for what's good, and either get your family out or confront what the evil is. This is something we can't mess with. Sometimes we can even see this in a nation, in a culture, where we begin to elevate somebody who's full of a lot of swagger. And we need to watch out when that happens. We need to. And so it is a warning. I think this story in the Bible serves as a warning. And a toxic culture can really hurt people Heard a generation. I appreciate your naming that so much as a pastor, as someone people look up to. I think that's so important, especially for women to hear, but for all of us to hear, to not be naive about the reality of toxicity around us. Max, as we're closing today, I want to ask you a question I like to ask all of my guests, which is if you think back to that younger young man way back in the day, maybe before he had really encountered God's grace, what would you want him to? to know that you know now? If you could have a minute with him, just a moment to meet with him, what would you want him to know? Well, the honest conversation would have to do with treating women with respect, would have to do with acknowledging the danger of alcohol, and would have to do with choosing the right friends. I think he knew those things, but he wasn't listening. He needed somebody to sit down eyeball to eyeball with him and say him. I'm making it sound like that period lasted a long time. Really, it was just a two or three year period, you know, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20 years of age. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, Allison, that I didn't cause any damage during that time. Yeah. And what I did was I was bad enough to learn to acknowledge how bad I could be. My life was heading off the tracks. And so I am forever grateful to the pastors, to the friends who taught me that God loves me and God has a second chance, who introduced me to the Holy Spirit, who urged me to read the Bible. And so I'm forever grateful, forever grateful. But I would like to have a face-to-face with that kid. (laughs) I love that. And I love it that there's a loving firmness in the face-to-face, right? And the humility that, and again, this is how God redeems all of our stories, right? The humility Me too. I mean, you know, we all have that in our life. That's why I like to ask the question. Every single one of us can look back and reconnect with that former part of us, both from a place of, wow, you know, I've come so far and so grateful because without that younger version, those needs, those raw edges, we wouldn't have stumbled into the fullness of what it means. We would be, oh yeah, I'm all set. I've been cool my whole life, you know? 
So I love that. Thank you so much for joining us. It's just been an honor to have you today. Thank you. All the very best. Thanks for letting me be a part of your podcast. Thanks, Meg. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of The Best of You. It would mean so much if you take a moment to subscribe. You can go to Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click the plus or follow button. That will ensure you don't miss an episode and it helps get the word out to others. While you're there, I'd love it if you leave your five-star review. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, you honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.